imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total photonic reversal. Photonic reversal. Your hosts, Conan Neutron and Brenna Betts. Coming to you from the heart of the historically hipster mission. Gigantic middle finger to everything that is rock about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. I'm I'm from the South. <laughs> I'm a Southern belle. Confidence of a hero or fool. I wasn't exactly certain which. to be wherever you happen to be you're in the right time and right place for protonic reversal and we welcome you to it oh welcome welcome indeed welcome indeed to a time and space defined episode of protonic reversal this is going to be an interesting one people and i tell you that because in this episode we are bending time and space indeed all things prf barbecue are happening around in and with this episode and because of that we have gone to extreme lengths three x's extreme extreme lengths to bring you this very special episode with mr john fine of bitch magnet john fine who of course is the author of an excellent memoir 
memoir book, um, opinion piece almost, I guess you would say. A book called Your Band Sucks, What I Saw at Indie Rock's Failed Revolution, parentheses, but can no longer hear. A pretentious and confrontational title and one of the best books that I've read in quite some time. It's been a, a, a big hassle coordinating our very busy schedules and getting Mr. John Fine together, but we are indeed having him on this episode, and uh, it's going to be a blast. I'm looking forward to it. Interesting guy, interesting band. We're going to be speaking to him a little later in the show, and uh, you know, I got to tell you, this is a, it, it's a good book. It's a really good book. So we'll, we'll be getting to that shortly. For that, let's hear something off the Newbie Hamilton record. Fight Everything. Which you probably can't get a hold of. But you can if you listen to... Protonic Reversal. And that's what we're here for. This is fucking in a flop house. Thank you.
right, that was Motor by Bitch Magnet. That was a song off of the album Umber. The guitarist there was uh, Mr. John Fine, along with on that record, I believe, uh, David Grubbs of Squirrel Bait. So we'll be talking to Mr. John Fine about that. Before that, we had Fucking in a Flop House by B. Hamilton. Great, great, great band from Bay Area, Oakland band. Wish they'd get that goddamn record out. When you can listen to it, I assure you it's wonderful. I'm looking forward to talking to John Fine. We'll do that shortly. We're going to hear one more Bitch Magnet song and then get right into it. This is Clay. Goes a little something like this. John Fine, coming up. Protonic Reversal. Tire swing 
Okay, that was Bitch Magnet with Clay. That is also off of Umber. And now, without further ado, let's speak to Mr. John Fine. All right, so John Fine is not only the guitarist for Bitch Magnet, as well as uh, briefly for Don Caballero and Vineland, if you remember that band. He's also the author of one of my favorite books of this year, with the very cumbersome, slightly pretentious and confrontational title of (laughs) Your Band Sucks, What I Saw at Indie Rock's Failed Revolution, parentheses, but can no longer hear. John, welcome to Protonic Reversal, man. Hey, great to be here, Conan. I had the unique pleasure of actually seeing you yesterday in uh, our personal timeline right now at Aquarius Records, mm-hmm. and that was fantastic. One of my favorite record stores on the planet, actually. You and me both, my friend. And uh, if I'm, and I know I'm correct, so I'm going to do the thing where I ask a question I already know the answer to. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I believe you already know Andy Connors from A Minor Forest. Uh, that, that that's correct. I go way back with um with Andy. Um, we, we were trying to figure that out. Um, during our appearance together yesterday, it's probably around 20 years. Um, and we probably met through Aquarius. I've just been shopping there for a very long time, a very, very long time, uh, both mail order and in person. As well you should. I mean, it's a fantastic record store, and they manage to pack a lot of awesome into a very small place. Indeed, they do. In fact, uh, the, one of the guys that was... Uh, shooting on video your appearance was actually mm-hmm. doing a uh, documentary on Aquarius yes. as well that <laughs> as I mentioned as I actually mentioned on the show already uh, this morning in the causality of my personal timeline uh, he asked me if I had any desire to be on camera which anyone that knows me knows the answer to that is a affirmative in every uh, possible way <laughs> and I expounded at length about how wonderful Aquarius is uh, in, in the in the book, which I have read cover to cover very greedily, and I'm not lying when I say that I think it is probably one of the best books I've read all year, and I'm a voracious reader. Thank you. There's a, one of my favorite chapters is when you're talking about just the odd stories of, you know, not just even your personal experiences, but things, you know, your peers and friends' bands, mm-hmm. and there's a specific A Minor Four story that uh, not only is, is gross, but reminded me very much of not things that I've done myself, but things I had known other bands have done as well. Would you care to paraphrase that? Yeah. Um, so I was, I, I was, uh, basically, I, I spoke to around 60 musicians and label people and like, you know, band bookers, um, you know, for the book, just to kind of fill out the, um, story. And one of the things that I asked everyone was, you know, what's the grossest tour story? And, um, a minor forest. I, well, well, number. I, I want to preface this by saying they. I don't think they actually thought this was gross, um, <laughs> which which, of which course, makes it a better story. Which makes it a better story and even grosser. Um, but they would go to when they were on tour. They would go to all you can eat joints um, with like a shoulder bag, and they would shove like just as many slices of steam table pizza, like you know, like ten, twenty, twenty five, as many as they could into that shoulder bag. And then they take the shoulder bag out to the van and just kind of like dump the pizza on the dashboard and just kind of eat that for the next several days. Yeah. And the, the thing that actually was really alarming to me is that um, they, when they were, whenever they go through Austin, they'd go to Tamale House, which is a fabulous tamale joint. 
and they would buy like 20 breakfast tamales and do the same thing. Uh, that, that for some reason that one freaked me out even more. Maybe maybe because eggs are involved. I don't know. <laughs> right, exactly. There's a there's a high more there's more of a potential for spoilage. I think. Yeah. It. it yeah. It's. It was. Oh boy. Yeah. I, I just. I just don't know. Well, and I, I thought it was interesting because to me, and again from from the epoch that well. Let me back this up by saying that I think one of the things that I found so interesting about the book is that it's a book that it's not a winner's history of rock and roll necessarily. It's not a memoir Correct. from from a band that's, uh, you know, it's it's not from like Sonic Youth or from a band that is is internationally known, like a household name or anything along those lines. Right. But you guys did it. You put in the work. You did all of these things. And you just don't hear those stories. Well, well, thank you. I mean um... – because I felt – I mean, number one, thank you for you know pointing that out. But I just feel that this story um, of bands like that, you know, not 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 the bands who your kind of semi clueless coworkers, you know, might have heard of, like, oh yeah, Luna, I know this guys, or oh yeah, Juliana Hatfield. Um, I mean, you know, the, the bands that that were kind of slugging, like on a good night, they'd get a couple hundred people in a major city. Um, right. These to me were the lifeblood of you know this movement, if we can call it a movement. Um, and these to me were often my most favorite bands. And it just seemed to be – to me, it seems not just a music story. It seems like a really big America story. I mean like you know, like these young people getting in vans and just kind of doing it and being one of the first generations to do it and to you know experience – the basics of being in a rock band, you know, you're touring, you're playing every night, you're going from town to town, you have fans, you have yep. some really big fans, but, you know, not at a level that is recognizable to anybody, you know, this this isn't Keith Richard, this isn't Rod Stewart, you know, as you point out, this isn't even um, Kim Gordon, who wrote a very good book, um, but it's just it's just the, the layer below, and I was just kind of fascinated with that idea, um, and um, I'm just incredibly grateful I got a chance to write that. And you don't normally, you just don't hear from those voices. And and I find it interesting that kind of from myself, kind of coming in at the tail end of that uh, from my own you know musical exploits and and being in some small way associated with that with my own touring, it, it just was it astounded me that I kind of found myself every like, two or three pages either uh, silently or sometimes audibly going, oh fuck yeah, oh wow, <laughs> or, or like oh yeah that's. Oh yeah, totally. Or, or just like, kind of nodding, or in some cases, audibly, you know, agreeing, or or finding some some causality along with that that, that uh, agreed with some experience that I had. That I I never find that. I've never read a book quite like it. And I read a lot of rock books as well. So I think well, you, you you hit like kind of a zeitgeist moment in a thing that, as far as I know, doesn't exist. Thank you. Um, as as far as I know, the closest thing that exists to it is um, the drummer. And even the, even this is quite different. But the drummer for the band Semisonic, who had a right. mysterious hit out of left field with a really um, not thrilling song called "Closing Time," um, did a book. <laughs> I, I think it's called something. I think it's called something like "So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star," and it's about it, it's about riding the rocket. But you know, something or other, he machine gunned a blah 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 blah. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, and and yeah. It, it was it was actually on once I got really into the book, it was on my radar as something I should read, like when I'm done with it, because I, I honestly felt that there might be enough commonality even though like you know he was in a band that had an actual fm radio hit like you know he's in a band that has a song that's on every karaoke list you know um you know my bands weren't that but um i'm really curious about that book it's gotten really good reviews and it's it's that perspective that i find kind of interesting you know and i mean obviously if you're into rock music you know you want to read hammer of the gods well that's not a memoir you you want to read the keith richards memoir right you know 
we all want to know what it was like being Keith Richards in the 1970s. That that was bonkers, you know. Um, but yeah, music is such a huge thing. And again, like th- there was something that felt to me that was just bigger than music about this. Like it felt like this was a real American cultural story. Um, you know, obviously I spent a lot of time thinking about it, but I really do believe that. Well, and so the the Jacob Schlichter book uh, that, you're, that you're speaking about, and I have read that actually, and it is is oh. definitely worth reading. Uh, Excellent. It, it, it's interesting because I think the most interesting part of that book, there's actually a corollary that along with yours, which is just the the harsh and honest self-examination through the eyes of history towards, uh-huh. uh, you know, past times and kind of like look, looking back through, uh, I, I believe McNamara calls it, calls it the fog of war. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and looking back and like looking at it, not with how, you know, you looked at it then, but looking back to the times of being in the band in, it, in its heyday or like whatever and like crazy times personally and like looking at it with like more adult eyes and things along those lines that I think that there was, that's the same, the same case you have in yours with mm-hmm. a lot of your experiences with, with, which, uh, with bitch magnet that, I mean, I thought it was, it, that part was fascinating to me. And, and again, there's a lot of times, and I've mentioned on the show before when I was reading it, that there are parts of, it I think I identified with a little too much. And, <laughs> and I think that's a little too accurate, but wow. Well, uh, sorry, I guess, <laughs> I um, but thank you. <laughs> Um, but you, well, well, the self-examination is really important. Um, I mean, if you're going to be enough of an asshole to write a memoir, you have to be really honest about yourself. And, you know, I kind of knew that, you know, there were various times when I had, I, as we can say diplomatically, when I was not my best self in terms of behavior. But one thing that surprised me was like, you know, I was sort of looking at, say, how, you know, my last band, Coptic Light, ended in 2006. Right. And in reflecting on it, I was like, um, all right, you know, like uh, I, I, you know, I, the bass player and I quit on the drummer at the same time for a lot of reasons not worth going into now. But I, I'm looking back at it, I was like, wow, like now that it's all said and done, I should really apologize. Like, I mean, I don't. It was the right decision to leave that band, but you know, I could have done that better and I could have communicated better. And the kind of frustrating thing about that, just personally, is that you know, if there was idiotic stuff that I did when I was twenty, I could be like, "All right, I kind of fucked that up." But I was twenty; I was a child. I right, you got an it. out. Yeah, yeah. And, and in in nineteen thirty eight, I'm sorry, in in nineteen thirty eight, in two thousand six. <laughs> Exactly. In 2006, I was 38 years old. I mean, it was like, yeah, dude, like you should have at least some grasp on adult behavior at that point, you know, like be communicative, communicative, be honest, like don't be a dick. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I kind of fucked that one up. Um, and I do, I do owe Kevin Shane apology. So, and, but the, I mean, there's definitely a line of growth, I think with that. And it's something you acknowledge in the book that, you know, you, you openly acknowledge like when you've been an asshole in the past and in, even in the recent past. And I think that that's, you know, that's, I think in therapy, they, they call that like, you know, steps towards personal growth, right? Yeah. Well, well, it's only the first step. So we'll see how it <laughs> <actually> goes. <laughs> you said a really funny, but kind of like funny in the fact that there's a, uh, a truth, many a truth told in jest thing about Coptic light. You talked about, uh, you know, that the, the Coptic light was very much an adult band, right? You know, the, the, the way your responsibilities towards the band, the way you thought about it was sort of like a part-time kind of band. And he, you said, you said the line, I took the time to like write it down. You said, who wants to be an adult and be in a band? 
And I thought that was funny, but truthful at the same time. And well, when, I mean, I, I was, I was, I was kind of being a wise guy about it. You know, sure, and, and I know it, what you it, meant. I mean, it's it's kind of true, and it's kind of unavoidable. Um, if if you're going to be in a band that you know is not going to support you, as most of the bands we're talking that we talked about yesterday, and that we talk that I talk about in the book, you know, are um, you know, if you want to keep doing it, you have to make certain trade offs. But um, you know, what what I I mean. Uh, I, I really like being all in on music. Like I really right. liked having like my identity, income, social scene, like everything on it. And like I mean, the uh, the the highs and lows were really just kind of neck snapping. Um, and the, the lows were terrible, and, and they they led to very bad places. But um, uh, I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm making it sound like I was a homeless junkie, which I wasn't. No. I mean, it was, it was just sort of, just sort of like right. depressing and and dispiriting, and you know, like um, you know, kind of emotionally flattening. But you know, th- th- there was really something in riding that roller coaster. Um, you know, th- there there was really something in just like feeling all of it. And um, you know, it was it was good to go to it in different context in the band Coptic Light. I mean, I was into my 30s, well into my 30s. Um, you know, I had a real job. I was a columnist at a magazine called Business Week. Um, you know, I was doing, I, I had like all the accoutrements of a real, um, adult life. Um, you know, while I was in that band, I met the woman who would be my wife and we got married. Um, you know, all, all good stuff. And it was, it was great to have this thing on the side, but it was, I, I mean, it was a great way to, you know, go through the rest of my thirties, but you know, I'm always looking for, I, I like to be all in on stuff, you know, like, and you know, I, I, I would never be happy being in a band that, you know, practiced, I don't know, once every two months to play, you know, covers or something like that. It, it just right. wouldn't work for me. Um, the guy and, whose cousin that, you know, <laughs> he plays in a blues yeah, band yeah, down yeah. at the bar. Yeah, huh? yeah I, I, right. I, I, I kind of should talk the, the thing in the book where like your clueless coworkers like, oh, you're in a band. You should meet my cousin. He's like does blues covers. And you're like, wow, um, right. that's not what. I'm talking about here. And, and furthermore, I can't even express that to you without sounding like an asshole, which is unfortunate. Um, yeah, I, so I mean, it was, it was, it, it was great, but I mean, you know, it, it was, I mean, I, I guess I was kind of pining away for when it was the only thing going on as, as crazy and unsustainable a life that turned out to be. Well, and, and not to put words in your mouth, but is, you know, something along the lines of get that feeling of the, you know, you guys versus the world. Too, of just like having your band that's like your thing you're unique yeah and i think it was probably tied up in a certain time uh, it was tied up to a certain degree of like being you know a me being pretty young and b you know the band being in a certain part of the world where we were um th- th- this is so I'm, I'm i'm thinking back to like when i was say like 20 years old and i was in bitch magnet and either our first record was out or our second record was about to come out and um you know, no one knew who we were and it was hard to find out about stuff, but like we kind of knew that we were onto this thing and like we knew that we were really good. And, um, and like that, that was like the only fucking dream I had at that point. And I was like, holy shit, all right. I wanted was to be in a good band. And like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to mince words about it. Like, I know you're supposed to be all indie rock modest. Like I thought we were a really fucking good band. I was, <laughs> right. and I was, I was so thrilled and like, you know, Sue Young, the, the bassist and singer and the, the primary songwriter, uh, like the 90% songwriter, you know, would come in and like, you know, like with like the makings of a song and I'd be like, holy, like, this is a fucking unbelievable song. Like if I heard this on, you know, the college radio, I'd be like running around and like jumping up for joy and I get to play this. I mean, it was, it was just so thrilling and it was really exciting. Like I said, at that nascent moment where no one knew who the fuck we were, but we were like, we're, we're onto that. We're, we're definitely onto something like, like this is like, people are going to hear it. And it's going to have some kind of impact in this like tiny little world that we that we that we're interested in. 
And to have that palpable excitement and to have that that thing building and and to be able to spend that much time with it and have that be a part of your life that you know you can um, you can kind of safely put a bunch of your identity into that it's different than have your thing that like oh this is great fun this is awesome we're doing good work here but we get to do this maybe three weeks out of the year and get to do like one cool thing yeah exactly yeah I, and again being all in i like being all in yeah, I, again, when I talked about identifying with it a little bit too much, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's a little harder to manage to get older, but what can you do? Yeah, it is. And so with that experience, and so when you're speaking to that, and with that kind of experience, how did that and, – and again, I'm trying to trying to ride the line between people that both have and haven't read the book. Okay. Uh, and for folks that haven't read the book, you really need to just read the book, like just – Whatever. If you if you listen to this on your phone, stop it right now and just go order from Amazon right now. Just do it. But what Conan said, I, I wouldn't want to be showing my own book. But but Conan, Conan's really smart, and you should yeah. listen to him. I, I know I've already sold a couple copies of it just by posting passages on Instagram and things like that. Thank so you ha- very much. <laughs> I'm to, serious. Thank you very much. Really happy to do it, and I'm also happy to do it because uh, sidebar, the whole reason I ended up buying it in the first place because I thought the title was incredibly pretentious was, <laughs> was because I heard Rick and Rose talking about it on uh, their podcast, which I listen to regularly, and they spoke oh, very wonderful. highly of it. And uh, anything they're into, I'm usually usually into. Yeah, they're real smart. Uh, so and, even, even, even if they like my book, they're real smart. Yeah. <laughs> so what I was going to ask uh, before I got into the, the promotion part of that, the show <laughs> was Vineland. Like, yes. <laughs> the experience with Vineland, which we're going to go ahead and charitably say was not uh, received the same well, uh, same way as Bitch Magnet. So what, what, what you're talking about right now is there's basically a chapter um, in the book that's – Which about, I found to be a fascinating chapter, by the way. I, I, I think it's I mean, super interesting. I, thank you. I'm, I'm really fond of that chapter. And it's a chapter about being in a band that basically nobody likes. And, um, you know, like you're, com- <laughs> you're, you're committed to it. You're doing it. I, I was doing it pretty whole hog then. And um, uh, Peter Prescott, who's the drummer in Mission to Burma, was the leader of Volcano Sons, was in bands like Customized and yep. Beer Group. Um, I, he's one of the people I interviewed for this book. And um, I think he was sort of generally speaking to Volcano Sons, because um, you know, he, you know, he's in Mission of Burma, and they're a really big deal, and you know people do come see them. But he said, like, you know, I, I considered it a real privilege to be in, like, the kind of scrappy little messed up band that has 30 fans in every city. And, you know, I, I heard that and I was like, I totally know what you mean. Like the, the problem with being in a band like Vineland is when Vineland is when you have a you 30 fans of your scrappy little messed up band in every city and then 20 of them stop giving a shit or 25 right. do. And it's right. and, and it's kind of uh, and, and it's basically over. Um, and, you know, you can keep at it in in a fashion, but it gets it gets really untenable really quickly. Um, you know, like on the last Vineland tour, you know, um, we were getting paid so poorly and irregularly that, you know, we couldn't do $10 per diems for food, you know, $10, which right. will get you maybe two fast food. Meals. We, we couldn't do that. And we were all broke. And, you know, as I say in the book, um, there's a, there's a real huge difference between like kind of like self-chosen artistic poverty and actual poverty. Like, you know, we were not actually poor, but, on the tour that on, on this tour, you know, we were pretty damn broke. And like, you know, you would be eating lunch with your bandmates. And if they're not finishing their fries, you're kind of looking at them and you're thinking like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not kidding. You're like, right, I right. hope they're done. You know, I mean, yeah. like it, 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 it kind of. And so 
I mean, on one hand, I guess you're supposed to be heroic and soldier on. But I mean, like at that point, Vineland had been going for like five years. Um, we couldn't get anyone to put out the record. Um, I was already pretty deep in debt and I didn't want to put it out myself. I didn't really see the point. And and fewer and fewer people were coming to the shows. And I mean, I thought we were really good. Um, and on the last tour, I think we'd kind of peaked, but it was too late. I mean, no one gave a shit. And, right. you know, it's just for really challenging. It's challenging to a band together, even under pretty good circumstances, and like under significantly adverse, you know, circumstances. It's really hard. I mean, you know, pe- people have other things to do than to play in a band no one is coming to see, and to be like, you know, to, to go through all the machinations of life where they're trying to carve out time away from whatever sort of part-time work they've cobbled together to be gone for a month on tour. Um, you know, it's just a lot easier to not do that, and um, you know. It was a really heartbreaking time, um, personally. Like th- th- this band was really my baby. I was, I, mean, I was the songwriter, and I sang. Um, and uh, I mean, it, it really sucked, and it, and it really broke my heart. Um, uh, and twenty years or nineteen years after we broke up, uh, we I got a chapter in a book that I'm pretty happy about. It so. I don't know if that's a really appropriate trade-off, but it's what I got. Well, I mean, it, it's. I thought it was a very brave chapter because it, it, there you. is some very harsh self-assessment in there, and you know, I think that there's some. You know, like I, I thought it was. I thought it was very interesting. Cause have you ever? You've heard the of uh, the economic term uh, uh, sunk costs, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It, it reminded me. It reminded me of the concept of sunk costs, where you're just like, no, we've we spent all this time and effort doing this. We're gonna. We're gonna turn this around. We're gonna yeah. ah, this next one's gonna do it. We're gonna people are gonna realize how good this band is. It's uh... well, I mean, I'd, I'd been I'd been believing that for years, and fi- finally at the end, it was like I I can't pretend this anymore. Like you know, people were quitting, and I was just like, I'm I'm done. I can't I can't do this. Like, um, and and it it really sucked. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I, I I don't know any other way to put it. I mean, it really like it broke my heart in a really profound way, and it it kind of it soured me on music for a long time. I mean, and and that you know, that happens. Well, and that's hard to recover from because that, I mean, that'll shake you in a multitude of ways. It, it can, it's... but I mean, as, as I said, and like, you know, it, 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 I, I was a couple of ways, uh, a couple after when, when Vineland broke up, I was a couple of years away from like a much more significant self-assessment, which is that I had to really, um, step back, um, from pretending I could pursue music full time and like get an actual job. Cause like nothing was working out. Um, and you know, like there, I'm, I have a really great life. I got a, I have a job I really like. Um, I adore my wife. You know, um, I got to write this book, which is just an unbelievable privilege. It's something I care deeply about. But I do feel that when push came to shove, when it got really hard, um, I I walked away. And I don't like. Th- th- there's nothing heroic about that. I right. mean, like the only reason I got a job, the only reason, honestly, the only reason I got a real job was because my girlfriend at the time sat me down and like made me list my debts and my, um, and like my pitiful income. I was, I was like not hacking it as a freelance writer. And, you know, I was well into the five figures in debt, um, including IRS debt, which is really bad debt. Um, yeah, of, not, not who you of, want to have after you. <laughs> no, you, you don't. And like, and it's, I, 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 fortunately it's long enough ago that I forget the particulars, but it's like the interest is like, it's bad. I mean, it keeps compounding. I mean, it's fucking bad. And, you know, she she was basically like, you have to get a job or I'm out of here, you know, in effect. And like, I didn't want to do it. I mean, I, I wanted to keep bumping along and half-assing it. But I mean, I didn't have a choice. Excuse me. Hold on one second. Uh, my hotel is doing something weird. Um, dude. <laughs> is, your, like, is your building burning down? 
I I don't smell anything, but they're acting like it. Um, can we pick this up again in a little bit? I'm I, I, really sorry. No, absolutely. In fact, uh, right. we'll just we'll just go to a song. No worries. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll be back as soon as I can. I'm really sorry, dude. <laughs> okay, no worries. Uh, wish me luck. Okay, yeah, don't don't die. All right. There he is. Uh, let's go to uh, let's hear a Rich Magnet song. Radio magic. Hopefully nobody was killed. Uh, false alarm. Nothing burned. Okay, good. <laughs> nah, construction guys set it off. Apparently, like whatever. You know. Yeah. Um. So we're here. What's up? That's how it goes sometimes. <clears throat> All right. So I have. Yeah, it does. 
I have no idea what we were talking about, uh, but uh, we were talking about getting a real job and not being proud of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, but I mean, you certainly there. You have nothing to be ashamed of for there. You've done fairly well for yourself as as far as that goes. You distinguished yourself in you know in journalism. You've oh, been a talking you. head. I mean, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, it's true. But I mean, you know, it was all because um, uh, I couldn't really make the music thing work. <laughs> to be I mean, honest with you. Yeah. So uh, were you sitting there the whole time, like, you know, and then like looking at your, your friends being on tour on Facebook and just like, you know, seething with anger that you can't let the tiger out or, or what's... you know, not, not, no, because, at, you know, at a certain point, like there's, you know, there's an acceptance to it. And I mean, like, you know, I want to be clear, like, I like my life a lot. I mean, you know, I, I get to do, I'm, I'm the executive editor of Inc. Magazine. Um, I work with a great group of people. We get to do really cool stuff about, you know, a really interesting topic. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm married to this fabulous woman, you know, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, and honestly, like at a certain point, like the, the kind of, like the reason to do it, um, you know, frankly became a lot less desperate. And, um, you know, like with, and I, I do have friends like, you know, this, I'm, I'm well into my forties. So like, you know, at this point, the people I know that are still doing music are doing it at a, at a, you know, a pretty high level. And it's, I mean, and it's awesome. I mean, right. you know, I, um, I've known the, a lot, a lot of the people in the LCD sound system for a long time and like seeing them go from a relatively like, you know, a, a that was like one of my, that it was just another uh, band made up of friends of mine to like selling out Madison Square Garden, you know, and like doing these like an unbelievable last round of shows. I mean, that was fucking amazing. Right, I mean, that right. was like, I mean, all I can say is when I went to their last show at Madison Square Garden, like I, I felt I was more nervous for them than anyone else was. Like, I, <laughs> and then they actually I went to the show as if I was in the goddamn band, which is crazy. Um, and they killed it anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Well, then, and you know, and and and. Just a you know, quick sidebar. Like I, I do think it's, it's you, you touch on an important thing that as you know, and speaking for myself, just being around for like a long time and and kind of you know staying involved in whatever way that you stay involved, that does happen. Like you know, people that that stay with it a lot of times, you know, <laughs> if you stick around, access stick around, even if it's necessarily like how you know them, they end up doing well in whatever it is that they're doing. So you end up with these relationships that are these these forged in the trenches sort of relationships. Uh, that aren't necessarily like, oh, you know that person? It's like, oh, yeah, I yeah, went on tour with them for like four yeah. weeks. And, you know, we traveled all around the I mean, U.S. together. Yeah, it's it's like like Ian Williams and Battles. I mean, you know, they're, they're a really big deal, as they should be. And, yeah. Um, yeah, he's like, I remember when he was 19 and, like, you know, he was his band played with mine at a Bitch Magnet show, um, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's – but that, that that's amazing. I mean, it's like – but I think it would – it was probably – harder when i was like trying to do it and it wasn't going well than it was when i was out of it because that, that that just sort of took a lot of the angst out of it for whatever reason well but then you also mentioned and again not to just completely spoil it on the book but you, you mentioned after uh you know there's like an lcd sound system show and you know the the, mm -hmm. the bus is going to head off to toronto and you're like you're heading into the job yeah, and there's this moment of just like, well, I could just go on the bus, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, what you're talking about is, I mean, yeah, there's. So, I was, uh, I just seen. They did a bunch of shows. LCD did a bunch of shows in New York City right at the beginning of their last tour, and like, you know, they were absolutely on fire, just great shows. And I, like, I saw, like, there were like four or five nights, saw all of them, just great stuff. And then it's like Monday morning, and I gotta go back to real life, and so I'm. 
hustling my ass out the uh, out of my apartment at nine in the morning or whatever, and like the bus that they're about to take to go to maybe it was Montreal, I can't remember offhand, um, was right there, and I and um, I locked eyes with um, Pat, the drummer in LCD. And Nick, the drummer in Holy Ghost, who was touring with them, they're having like their last cigarette, and they're like, they're like, dude, get on the bus, like you got to get on the bus, and like, they were probably joking, you know, uh, I, I assume they were joking, but like, you know, there's that moment where it's like, you know, what I don't say, don't like joke about that, guys, because I might, you know, like right. I'll, I'll be the weirdo, I'll be the weirdo exactly. in the extra bunk for a month, but you know, I realized that I kind of couldn't, um, yeah. you know, like that there's that there's real life. Um, and that there's real things to do, and it just, you know, you, you can't keep running away to join the circus, basically, once you get to a certain age. Yeah, and that's, you know, it, and again, like, it, it's it's weird because I, I think it's reductive to paint anything in, in, to in certain terms of, like, oh, to, you know, work a, you know, nine-to-five, four-day-hour-a-week job as an adult, and to be in a band is to be juvenile. I don't think in the, those terms at all. And I think you did a very, you did a service to the rock and roll, for lack of a better term, world uh, with this book by not painting it in those absolute terms, but also kind of (laughs) showing when enough is enough, too, Mm -hmm. and saying like, you know, again, the the epiphany moment was when you're just like, oh, there's no money, like whatsoever, and like, maybe it's time to, to get a straight job and not be doing this for a while. One of the things that I was really fascinated with, um, you know, like I, as I said, I talked to, you know, 60 something people and, you know, some, some of them were in, um, in terms of this music in, in pretty, uh, well-known bands. Um, you know, Mark Arm and Steve Turner of Mudhoney, David Yao of Jesus Lizard, uh, Lou Barlow of Sebado and Dinosaur. But one of the things I was really interested in was, you know, the bands, like kind of the, the scrappier bands that, you know, we were talking about earlier in the conversation, that aren't going to be that big. And so, you know, and what it's like when bands like that get to, you know, their members are in their mid thirties. Um, they're trying to live off the band, but it's paying them, you know, like less than minimum wage. And they're like, you start having to have real adult reckonings. It's like, you know, I call me crazy. I would like to have health insurance or, you know, I had a, <laughs> right. Is that such a, a crazy thing to ask for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, I had a great interview. I mean, I had a lot of really great interviews uh, on this point. Um, you know, one with Mark Robinson of Unrest, um, one with Scott DeSimon, who was in Pitch Blend and Turing Machine, but yeah. had this amazing interview with Ann Eichelberg of Thinking Fellers. Yeah, um, who's an amazing, um, amazing player. I used to see her um, all the time. Oh, God, I love that band yeah, so much. They she, love she's them. totally awesome. Like, really great, brilliant, idiosyncratic band. And you know, she was saying, like, look, you know, we'd done our three or four records on Matador. Um, the band was paying us $700 a month. We were living in... Um, you know, the San Francisco area, which, as you know, is not cheap, and it wasn't even cheap then. It's more expensive was, than ever, too. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, yeah, and so she was, uh, you know, she was saying, like, I was well into my 30s, and, like, I thought, you know, like, she hadn't had a job in 10 years. And she was like, I, I just figured, like, I'm going to have to jump off the train and, like, learn some skills so I can survive. Because I don't know how to fucking do anything. And, like, the the band is either as big as it ever will be or it was a couple of years ago. And on top of that, they, they uh, for some crazy reason, they ended up opening for that really horrid um, alt-rock band live. Yeah, I don't know if anyone yeah. remembers them anymore. No, they – But, but um, you know – Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. And like, I mean, it was one of those things where like you look back now and you're like, wow, they were like one of the biggest bands in the world for like three years. What the fuck was that about? Um, and you know, <laughs> they, 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 they got offered a tour opening for them. And so they were like, all right, we're going to do this. And of course, you know, they're, they're touring like secondary markets. It's like summertime outdoor shows. And she's like, you know, people fucking hated us. Like, like they, they were throwing things at them. Like, like they were chanting, you suck. They're like kids, like flipping them off the entire set. Right. And, and, and at the same time, you know, they, they see all this like crazy rock star bullshit shit. Like when the, the live, <laughs> the band gets their matching robes, you know, with like the album cover on it. Right. Right. And like, when one when guy in live like kind of waltzing over to her at, in catering, you know, to show her a copy of Billboard because her album's number one, and he's like, "Hey, I can do this, so I'm going to show this to you." And they're like, and and you know, and she said like, you know, it was kind of great for future, for fodder for future conversations, but like, a few we're like, you know, this this is never going to happen for us. Like, you know, we're just too weird. We can't even do we we can't even be the opening band. Like, right. so. And that, that, that just forces certain decisions. Well, and, and with Thinking Fellers especially, I mean, I, I adore them, but it's, yeah. it's not music that is ever going to go over to your average listener. Like, it's not. Correct. But, but the, at the same time, you know, like in San Francisco, I, I'm pretty confident they were selling out, like, you know, Great American. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And, like, in, in the big cities, you know, 500 people would see them. But it's like, and, and you know, that's great. That, that means you can be a band full time, which is not a small thing. And, it's great. It's yeah. really not a small thing when you're absolutely ambitious and idiosyncratic and good as them. But, you know, at the same time, like, even when you get to that level, you know, you basically hit a wall. And, and then she spoke about it really frankly and bravely. And I think, I don't know if it's still online, but when they were an active band, she would do tour diaries that were posted online. And she, there, there's a lot of grappling with that if, it, if it's still up there. I mean, it's fascinating stuff. That's why I was desperate to talk to her and I'm really grateful she talked to me. And I remember those and I remember those in real time. And and you spoke a little bit about this. And when you talk about, you know, places that you thought about you know, your band being, you talked about, oh, you know, uh, you talk about a band like being like Mission or Burma, where you just were doing, you know, great work and it, it could be sort of self-sustaining as a thing. Uh, but, it, you know, you didn't have any designs. Like you didn't think he was going to be like, you know, like, oh, we're going to be like supplant Led Zeppelin or something necessarily, but maybe the yeah, entire no, no, culture could, right, right. But but maybe the culture itself could, you know, maybe something there could. Yeah, th- th- that goes back to the title, which you know, rightly a lot of people have called me on, and I get that. Um, and, you know, and again, I, I, in, in, me, I, I would like to say that I, I am gonna, I'm like evolution because. Oh, I was going to say, sorry, I just want to backpedal and say that although I have talked a lot of trash about the title, I get it now. <laughs> I do get so, it, so I'm, I'm going to let you explain it now. Sorry. <laughs> No, no. Well, I mean, it, it, I mean, talk trash away. It's totally fine. Um, you know, to me, like I thought, that, you know, I re- I wanted a revolution. I wanted, I wanted, you know, statues to be overturned. I wanted cars flipped over in the street, and I wanted, you know, the horrors that in the eighties were just kind of shoving um, hair metal and like crappy synth bands. Like I, I like synth music, but I mean, like you know. You know, I, I'm not really into Thompson twins. Uh, you know, like I just wanted all that shit to go away. And and for I don't, you know, we would have our hands on the levers of power, and that we would somehow be more benevolent about it, and that culture would be like better culture would be disseminated more broadly. Um, you know, that's um, obviously a very naive hope because people in those big, tall buildings, and you know, this is when the rock music industry was just making money hand over fist. You know, this is when this is 
like radio programmers, I'm assuming. I mean, they were making so much fucking money. Like, the, the incumbents just don't go away just right. because, like, there's something cool coming up. Like, they're going to try to figure out how to um, make a little bit of it work for them and just, you know, protect their perks. And, you know, th- th- there is no plausible way that, um, I, don't, I don't know, like, fill in the blank, that, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's preposterous that, an idea youth beyond FM commercial FM radio in the nineties. Uh, apparently people did, you know, like to me, mission of Burma is like a really rousing, interesting band that is accessible. You know, they, they have pop hooks. They sound like a rock band. They're, they're also like a little interesting and weird as I've been repeatedly reminded when I play that for people that are not as upset about this stuff as you mean, like, like they, 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 that is totally fucking wrong. You know, like mission of Burma is never going to be, you know, fill in the blank. Um, I don't know. Like, if I say Creed or Nickelback, that's kind of obvious. Um, <laughs> but, but, but I mean, I really... The I really Foo Fighters, maybe. How about that? Sure, yeah, exactly. But, you know, you're, you're a good point. Um, and, and, you know, like, really particular stuff, like, you know, stuff is small club music, like, it's built for small halls. Like, something as noisy as Mission of Burma actually would not work in an arena. Although, Park in Boston, which is... Right. I mean, that's, like, the most amazing thing. I just saw... Clint Connolly, the basis of Mission to Burma, because he uh, did, he interviewed me for my event for the book in um, Boston. And like, he brought his daughter and it was amazing. And like, it was like, it was great to meet her. Like, like, like great. Um, I think she's either just starting college or going to, and I was like, your dad is playing Fenway Park. Like, how cool is that? You know? I totally. mean, like, to me, that's amazing. But, but th- 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 that's like one of the weird wormholes. You know, they're not, they're not playing, they're not going on a stadium tour. They're not headlining. You know, it's like, it, it's a one-off. And that that's, Basically, you know, what we can hope for on that level. Um, but the, the heartening part, which I hope comes through in the end, is that, all right, like, there was no revolution. You know, like, Taylor Swift is still a miss. Katy Perry is still Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming Nickelback is still a band. I, I don't even know. But if, <laughs> if, if, they are, if they are, they're still selling millions of records, and there's a hell of a lot more of them than us. But at the same time, you know, when for the swath of time the book covers which is from like the early 80s till now like in the early 80s there was nothing you know bands like mission of burma dead kennedys um before that the ramones black flag you know they were kind of just voices in the wilderness the circuit you know by the end of the 80s there was something there was um an international touring circuit they were lived in europe and america you know australia and japan uh, you could do this you wouldn't get rich as, as we've been talking about you may not be able to support yourself but you could be in a band and tour it and and do interesting music and disseminate it and that circuit and that persists today. Sure. And that's actually because, you know, when I, when I was a, when I was a clueless 15-year-old in suburban New Jersey, and I didn't know any of this shit existed, place for me and, like, the other weirdos. And I didn't even know they existed because, like, there's no way to get in touch with them. Right. So, you know, that, that's an enormous happy ending, I think. Well, and that's and, and that's something that you know I, I share that as well. Like I came from a suburban environment that you know pre-internet there was no way to know. But like, I, you know, I I was uh, you know an hour and a half away from you know the Bay Area where you had like the Melvins and Steel Pole Bathtub and Thinking Fellers Union yeah. and play and like yeah. I I didn't know about any of that. Like I was aware of the Melvins because yep. of Nirvana. That was it. But like, and it wasn't until like I moved up here that I was able to even see any of it because I didn't have a car. So how, how was I going to exactly. go to it? And it's so and, and weird to, to, to explain that to kids now because people just don't – they can't even conceive of that. They can't even conceive of that being a I'm thing. Sorry, I, need, I need you to repeat that. I'm, I'm, you're garbling. Oh, I, I was going to say it's, it's crazy to explain that to kids now because they yeah. can't think of a time where you wouldn't have access to everything all the time always. 
Yeah, that's true. And, and you know, that, that, that's a huge thing too. But like all this stuff persists. I mean, there's still a million bands. I mean, I don't know who they are anymore because I'm just busy and I'm not chasing the stuff down all the time. But like just enough floats my way. And I know, yeah, there's a lot going on. There's a great band in Chicago called um, Russian Circles. Like there's some crazy hardcore band that I don't know if anyone knows about called Bugs and Rats, um, which judging by the one song I've played over and over again on YouTube, like they're kind of the greatest thing in the world. Um, <laughs> and it might be that one of the greatest. The bigger point is that there's still bands like that. And, right. and there's a lot of them. And, and that's huge because like I, that wasn't the case in the early 80s. That wasn't the case in the 70s. Um, you know, in the 60s and 70s, if you were a band, like you had to make your own record and there was no way to distribute it. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of fascinating, I guess the, the collector term is private press. You know, you would make a hundred copies and give it out to your friends. And um, there's some really crazy and interesting stuff that came out of that. But I mean, it was just so fragmented, like, you know, no one knew what was going on anywhere. Right. Absolutely. And there's no way to disseminate that stuff. I, I th- And, uh, you know, and we, we you hammered on a point that uh, I, I thought was really interesting, too. I think you, you ran a very fine line that there's a people tend to either stay in the this is a you know, an autobiography that happens to have rock and roll in it, or this is a book about rock and roll that happens to have some autobiography in it. But I think you did a really good job of telling your own story and also kind of telling the story of of an epoch in quote-unquote indie rock that uh, you, you managed to do both. And I, I can't I can't think of many of the books that may have managed to do that. Um, and I thought that was uh, well sure. done. Thank you. Yeah, well done for that. Um, and just thank you real quick, because I know it's kind of weird for me to like read something back to you that you wrote. I want to read one of my favorite passages because this just like kind of encapsulates why people need to buy this book. Again, your band sucks. Uh, this is, this is the passage that starts with, uh, I want, I wanted to stay on the road forever, sell the house, sell the car, sell the kids, find someone else, forget it. I'm never coming back. Not that I had any of those things to sell or anyone to not come back to. I hated that each tour eventually deposited you without mercy at work on Monday morning after you barely made it back home a few hours earlier, blinking bloodshot eyes at the bright fluorescent lights, feeling abandoned and far from love. Fucking A, dude. <laughs> Fucking A. We've we, we both been there. We both oh, been my there. God. <laughs> when I talk about making the post that like, yeah. sold a couple of copies of the book, that was, that was one of the ones that did it because people were like, oh, my God, I got to read this. <laughs> Thank you. Jesus. Thank you. Uh, well, because I'll put it on a t-shirt or something. It, but, but seriously, I mean, that, that was what it was like. Like you, you had had this unbelievable experience, this unbelievable communion with, with the people that liked your band and the bands that you liked playing with, you know, the musicians in your band. Like you just had this incredible experience of going to town to town and like the, the anticipation and the build. And, you know, you were so immersed in that world. And then it's like Monday morning and like you, you get there like nine o'clock and it's just fucking gone. And I, it's Monday morning. I'd like the job you're probably not into at all. You've got a long week to get to. You're exhausted, like completely exhausted. And it's like, you know, you've got, I don't know, four hours before you can like, you know, have lunch and like, you know, just stop thinking about work bullshit. It's like Absolutely. it's like being in the Wizard of Oz and then suddenly being pulled back and being in black and white Kansas. Like it's just it, and yeah. I, I've never really heard that uh, or, or read that it put in a book. So good on you for mentioning that, because it's it's a real thing, man. And I've heard people describe it, it, it in many ways. Thank you. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, and again, like, you know, Keith Richards wrote an amazing book. Like, you know, he never had to face that. <laughs> he wasn't right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he never he had to sleeping till noon. It's like, 
I mean, having his minions bring him whatever drugs are required to keep him alive. Right, right. He's not and, He's not having to go to his temp job and uh, go do data entry at 8 a.m. Yeah, exactly. at yeah, the bank. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, like, all the bands that we're talking about in this book pretty much did. Um, you know, even, you know, th- th- there was an interesting thing where, like, even in the, in the mid-'80s, like, even the bands that were, like, doing really well, you know, like, th- th- they were, you know, like, um, I think I'm getting this from Michael Azarad's book, but, you know, like, Grant Hart was... Th- Husker Du is already kind of a big deal in, in hardcore circles, and, like, they're expanding out from that. Like, they, they've just released Metal Circus. They're, like, rehearsing for Zen Arcade, you know? And, like, th- this is about to be a real big thing. And, you know, Grant Hart is living with his parents. I mean, it, it, it's it's all shit like that, you know? It, and I don't know, it's just fascinating to me. Like, the, the blend between, you know, this the way that you're striving for, you know, doing great things. And in some of these cases, like, with, you know, Husker Du at that time, like, they were about to do something really great. And, Grant was living with his parents because he could afford his own place. I mean, that's right. just fucking fascinating to me. I know, absolutely. And, and I think it's it's something that is tend to gl- be glossed over because, I mean, frankly, it's embarrassing for some people, but it's also something people can't understand. You know, if you yeah. haven't lived it, people are like, what, why, what, what, why? You know, thank, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Because, like, I did an interview with um, um, a radio station in New York State and, you know, like lo- lovely people, but they knew nothing about punk rock. I mean, you know, right. and, and great, you know, but like one of them was like, all right, so did you ever think your band was going to make it big? And I was like, no, like that, <laughs> that was not. And, and like he kind of like asked me again. I was like, you've got to understand, like, you know, that wasn't even on the table. Like I was in a band called Bitch Magnet, for Christ's sakes, you know, like, like right. you, you could say it on the radio or you or like it was problematic and like we were weird sounding like that was not part of the calculation. And even, you know, to, to his point, I guess, like, you know, we, this was before Nirvana. This is before Helmet. This is before Soundgarden. This is before, you know, all the bands that kind of graduated from the circuit, whether, you know, um, and, you know, the, the best you could do was be as big as Husker do and Sonic Youth, by the way. Seemed huge, and that would have been fucking awesome. Like, right. absolutely awesome. Totally, because in in the world that we know, those are like those bands are huge bands. But mm-hmm. and, and the way the way that I and, and more importantly, they they can do full time. They can do it full time. Right, and they live and exactly and and the way the the sort of long winded story that I would use to explain it was uh, for booking a tour pre internet uh, in Rapid City, South Dakota. Uh, the, the, this kid uh, was booking our band un, unheard. And he wanted me to explain what uh, my old band Replicator sounded like, to which I said, oh, okay, well, have you ever heard Shellac? And he says, nope. I say, oh. I'm like, oh. Uh, Sonic Youth? Nope. I'm like, oh. Uh, Nirvana? Oh, yeah, 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 I've heard of them. I was like, oh, okay. So we sound a little like the noisier okay, well- parts of Nirvana. Fine. <laughs> It's like, you, you, you know those songs are Nirvana that you don't like because they're too fucked up? Well, we kind of sound <laughs> right, like that, but a lot more like. fucked up. What do you say? So can we get 100 bucks? Can we guarantee 100 <laughs> yes. bucks in the case of beer? <laughs> Is that good? Are we good? Is <laughs> <sighs> that night in Rapid City? Uh, wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, Rapid City. But, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that, yeah, having that cultural shorthand for that kind of thing is just, you know, it, it, it's something that it's not a marketable skill. It's there's not transferable to like what is that transferable to, you know? I that, don't look at me. <laughs> yeah, nothing that I know that I'm aware of. I mean, it's it's yeah. sort of like this, this weird esoteric expert level knowledge that doesn't transfer to anything. That, but I also I wouldn't tra- tra- uh, trade for the world either. Well, I, th- I think you know you learn to you learn to hustle. You learn to be resourceful. Um, you know you you learn to kind of 
you know, you had to make things happen, you know, and, and you had to, you know, as you know, like when you're on tour, you have to get to the next town. Like you, you like you just got to keep the ball rolling. And like th- th- that's a valuable life skill, like, you know, to sure. be able to like cobble something together with zero resources um, is not nothing. You know, what I mean, I, th- I think that's really valuable. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we learned how to hustle. We learned how to, you know, think on our feet, um, hopefully. And um, yeah, so. Again, I mean, in addition to all the really pleasurable things we're talking about, I mean, I think that it it bred a kind of it breeds a kind of scrappiness that's really good to be able to fall back on, you know, no matter what your life situation is or where you are or what you're doing. Well, I, th- I think it actually is described as uh, you know leadership potential and uh, project management in the in the straight world a lot of times. Yeah, uh, yeah, actually, <laughs> you know? product management. I mean, uh, leadership might be tough um, for just some people. <laughs> well, well, well like, j- 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 just because, like, like. Uh, these were people that it was very difficult to lead anywhere. <laughs> right. And they were true, all, yeah. all kind of like sullen and anti-authoritative. But, um, but yeah, you know, um, I like, like tell me, tell me what the thing that I need to get to in 60 days and I can probably figure out a way to do it. And that, right. that that's really important. Critical thinking at the very least. Critical thinking. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of things I want to touch on. Uh, there's so much. First of all, just uh, this, this is just this isn't a question. This is just a statement. The Smashing Pumpkins suck. I agree with you. <laughs> terrible band. They've always been terrible. Most overrated band of my generation. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I guess I didn't just respond. <laughs> well, because you because in the in the Aquarius Q and A yesterday, uh, Andy kind of pressed you on that a little bit, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I agree. Terrible band. Awful. Just atrocious. Uh, yeah, I I, I want to be clear. Like, I mean. Uh, you know, I saw them pretty early on, and um, you know, it was clear that they were ambitious, and they, they wanted to be like a big successful band, and, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. The thing I had a problem was I didn't think they were good. I mean, like I, I found them boring. I found them pedestrian. Um, and and like you know, that that's an important distinction. Like right. you know, Urge Overkill, like friends of mine, like they flopped pretty big when they when they went for it, but. Before they went for it, like I thought, you know, they, they were one of the bands that I felt like I could play for my normal friends. They did an album called Americruiser, which I don't think yeah. ever, ever got a proper reissue because they got in a huge fight with Touch and Go. Like, like they weren't behaving well, and um, you know, Corey didn't give up the rights. It's it's like a great rock and roll record. Yeah, I have I have a copy of that on uh, on tape somewhere. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's 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 an amazing record. Uh, and I was like I was like these guys these guys should be on the radio. Like, like th- th- this is like, you know, a smart way for our kind of band to do like big rock music and have it make sense it, it just turned out not to work for them and it worked for smashing pumpkins for good or ill. what can you do yeah it's, it's funny you mentioned that because when i was talking to jay robbins uh earlier episode uh, weirdly early early urge overkill came up in that conversation too so i've actually been talking about urge overkill quite a bit lately and not the neil diamond cover era of course but like yeah when they were a vital interesting but ambitious rock and roll band mm-hmm. yeah and it's yeah. the most I've thought about Urge Overkill in quite some time, I guess, might be the summation of that. But yeah, it's hard to remember now because people only think about it, you know, the Pulp Fiction song and, and whatnot. But yeah, because because like they, they did have that moment where they were, you know, they were all over the radio for a year. They, they were on, you know, Letterman and Conan O'Brien or whatever show it was. And, and they, they did have kind of a hit with that Neil Diamond thing. They are in Pulp Fiction, which is a movie that people, you know, go go back to over and over again. Um you know, uh, I was, um, I mean, I, I spoke to Ed Roser for the book and he was like, it, it didn't work out, you know, like, and obviously it's a lot more painful than that. And, and I think it was, it was an extraordinarily painful thing for, um, those guys and him, but it, it didn't happen for a lot of reasons. 
Um, and you know, there were a lot of bands like that. There, there were a lot of bands that, and they actually got farther than a lot. Um, you know, there, there were just a lot of bands that ended up getting into some kind of dance or some kind of contractual thing with a major label and basically getting dicked around for years. Um, uh, or well, not years, but like a year and like that, that could break up a band. Detroit's and Walt Mink, um, yep. uh, I think scroll to a degree. I'm, I'm forgetting a few. Uh, but th- that was the thing. I mean, a lot of bands just kind of got stuck in a holding pattern and that can be really frustrating and people are like, fuck it. I quit. I get that. And, uh, and, uh, I, I also have a, a phrase written down. There's nothing to do with that, which is, which is, which is a great point, but I, I, I want to get this, this phrase out because I, I took care to write down the entire phrase specifically because I loved it so much. And the quote is, look how gently how politely dullards like Eric Clapton and Mark Knopfler play their guitars, end quote. <laughs> and one of the reasons well, I, they do, they I, do like, I, they act no. like they're fucking afraid of it. I, one of the reasons I love that so much is because you talked about, you, you brought the physicality of the music as being such an important thing to you. And, and that's another thing that dude, I'm with you. Yeah, absolutely. Like the, the, all these gentle bands, Thank I'm not into it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's I mean, I mean, like, look, I mean, I, I come down pretty hard on indie pop. Like, I mean, I love, I mean, they're probably too idiosyncratic for the tag, but I love young marble giants. You know I mean? I'm not just this like hammerheaded, you know, like, you know, hardcore, you know, overgrown hardcore kid, but, um, yeah, like, like, like hit, like it, it's physical music. Um, right. you know, like it, it express it physically. I mean, it, and, and, you know, and I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I never quite got that. And, um, Eric Clapton is kind of an obvious whipping boy, um, almost too obvious. But it's like there there are a lot of people out there that still think he's like the greatest guitarist ever, which I I will never understand. Ever. Well, well ever, and all, ever, ever. I mean, there are people that that will buy like relict Stratocasters as well because they want to get like the authentic, you know, yeah, Eric Clapton I'm, belt buckle I'll, relic. I will never. I mean, seriously, I'll never understand that. Like, I I don't find his guitar playing like compelling in the slightest. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I just like. I mean. Well, I, I'm not a fan of Ingve Malmsteen, but like th- that kind of thing is a thing. I get that. It's like, wow, holy shit! Like this is super athletic and crazy, and he's playing like 128 notes for like five minutes straight. Like, great, g- g- congratulations. Right. But like <laughs> s- something like Clapton, it's like, like I really don't fucking get it, you know. But whatever. I'm I'm a weirdo, as are you. Well, and yeah, and, and that's again, you've articulated a lot of points in this book that are just things that are. The, the bell that needed to be rung or that you know, the thing that's like, Oh wow, cool. Someone else agrees with me. That's awesome. But it's, it's worth reading, man. And I, I think it, like you've hit, you've hit on some important stuff and it's, I, I hope people follow up with that. I certainly hope that the listening audience does. Uh, and I, I'm glad we were able to make this work. Um, yeah, but, I'm really glad we were able to make this work. And dude, dude, thank you for saying that. I mean, like it, it just means so much to hear from people who did it too and have them say like, you know, yeah, this is, this is how I remembered it. I mean, that, uh, that's honestly the only fucking thing I ever wanted with this. Like, was that, you know, the people who lived it most of the bone could, you know, recognize some of it. I mean, that that's 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 all I need. So thank you. Really. Thanks so much. No, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's kind of one of those things that I never really listened to Bitch Magnet. Like, I always kind of knew, had heard of the name and <laughs> and do you guys. And now I kind of wish that I had and had come to those reunion shows because I totally... <laughs> I totally would have like had it. Uh, 
the, the 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 San Francisco show is a good one, actually. Uh, but you know, but you know, the, the the records are there. I mean, like it's it, like as with anything else, they're not. It's not a hard thing to to find now. You know, I mean, it's 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 available in all the obvious places. Well, and it, it's it's even on Spotify if you want to be one of those guys. Um, my my. And by the way. That's totally fine. Whatever works, really. My, <laughs> but, but I mean, uh, my normal co-host is a, is a big Spotify proponent. I it's not my thing, but <laughs> I, yeah, however I mean, people want to listen, it's, it's cool. It's really but. funny. Like I'm more, yeah. I mean, like I'm I'm more inclined to like go down a YouTube K hole and just like you know, right. Uh, but I mean, like I have been surprised. Like if, if I'm really deep thing, I'll be like, all right. I'm at work and I want to hear like the second high rise album. Cause like I really want these, um, really like super high, like super agitated, kind of like really fucking loud psychedelic garage band. Really great. Um, and like know. Spotify, Spotify, it, it, they're amazing. High rise too. check it out. Um, but like okay. Spotify had, I was like, all right, cool. But I mean, I'm more inclined to just sort of like, just follow some weird road down into like weird disco or weird funk or weird seventies hard rock or weird Czechoslovakian hardcore on YouTube. Um, but, you know, again, I, my habits are strange. <laughs> well, you're not the only one. And uh, thanks for writing the book, man. And uh, I, I really do hope that everyone listening to this checks it out if they haven't already. And uh, I think so. The entire Bitch Manga discography is available through uh, Temporary Residence as well, right? That is correct. And the book is Your Band Sucks, uh, pretty much available everywhere thanks to the publisher Viking. And I, I actually bought a second copy last night that you were kind enough to autograph. And I'm going to give my original right. copy to my good buddy Sean from Mephida Hi-Fi, who lives across the street and is going to cats it for me while <laughs> I'm away on vacation next week. <laughs> uh, which is great because he's an old tour buddy and he actually is a huge Bitch awesome. Magnet fan. So <laughs> that's uh, I think uh, I wanted to... Uh, just touch base real quick. So we didn't really talk about the Bitch Magnet reunion shows at all. I know you got a lot of... Um, I, I enjoyed that you had a very honest adult appraisal of all of the many, uh, the, the many different shows that you guys played, including... Because you, you have a, a reunion of... of the, the difference being... You mentioned uh, in, with Missioner Burma, everyone still lives in Boston. You know, everyone like lives in the same city. But with you guys, like, there's someone in Canada, there's someone in uh, freaking Singapore. You know, it's like everyone's like all around. So therefore, you kind of took yes. it, you kind of leaned into that, and you you played some shows in Japan, you played some 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 shows out in Singapore, you played all around. But I, I love that, you, and like when. <laughs> You messed up. Like, there's even like uh, you almost lost some teeth, right? That's one of the the more interesting kind of like. Oh man, you were in the zone on that one. What teeth? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, I I, uh, I I kind of went. I, I mean, I'm, I made I made a dive for uh, C Young's bass. Um, he actually had someone else playing bass for him during an uh, encore in, in Singapore, and we were playing. Um, the one really good song by the Australian band Hardons, which is called All Set to Go. It, it's two chords. It's it's great. Um, and I don't know. Like I, I just kind of wanted. I was like, no, lunging at the bass strings, and I to I was terrified that like my teeth were gonna like die in black. And luckily they didn't. But um, you know, yeah, it was um, it, it's kind of awesome to be you know in your forties and still do stupid shit like that. Like occasionally so and and just the difference between yeah and having like you know 40s body versus like 20s body and i mean did you did you find like the years sort of melted away easily once you kind of got into the groove of of playing these songs uh, honestly i mean i think once we got up to speed i felt we were strong was and like it, it just is i mean th th this sounds really trite but like 
I knew how to pace myself on stage. I honestly, I'm probably in better physical shape now than I was then because like I work out, you know, pretty much every day. And I, I certainly didn't then. Um, and you know, then like, you know, you're 22 and it doesn't really matter, but, um, you know, I, I just knew how to do it better. Like I, I felt I could really, you know, do, you know, treat the songs as they deserve to be, you know, treated and play them the way that I'd kind of been hearing in my head forever. Um, I, the, I, the best, sh- there's no question in my mind that the best shows of the reunion were the best shows we played. None, none whatsoever. And I'm re- I'm really proud of that. Well, and it's like everyone, you know, has continued to play too. So everyone's kept their musician level up and, you know, that that's a thing that definitely contributes to. Well, you know, uh- off and on. I mean, I had definitely put the guitar down for like a year at a time. Um, you know, uh, Sue Young hadn't played bass for like uh, 20 years. Um, he, he had to really like he, he had to really put in some you know time in the woodshed, uh, you know, just to get his chops back. And um, but but he did. You know, it just took some more. Yeah, it's it's and it's interesting too because you know, and and again, and I, I don't want to. <laughs> Want to take a bit? You know, we we've talked plenty about this. I, I could talk to you like for for three or four hours more easily. Like, <laughs> so I want I want to be mindful of your time. But I, I thought Which it was a- it was interesting because it you you didn't get like the the anvil end of the movie happy ending of just like oh and then like you know they were discovered by this wider audience and now it was just sort of like cool we did the thing. But if you stick around too long, it's sort of like the crowds start thinning out and then people kind of like then you're the pixies and <laughs> nobody's really looking for that. Saying I don't think the Pixies have any business sticking around personally, and I say that as somebody yeah, that I'm, does I'm, like the I'm, band. I'm, I'm I'm obviously not a Pixies fan, um, uh, but you know th- there were bands that got back together just for a short time, and it you know they ended up writing new material and you know um, t- touring and recording. I mean, Dinosaur Junior, Mission of Burma, Mission of Burma has recorded great stuff. You know, more records now than when they were a band the first time, actually. Career, um, yeah. that it just turned out. Exactly, and, and and longer around. And Dinosaur Junior. with this lineup is probably approaching it too. If they haven't surpassed it, um, th- that just wasn't going to be us. I mean, like it, it, it just, uh, you know, we weren't going to go that route, and and that's fine too. You know, um, it was great to do this, and it, it seemed it made sense to put it back on the shelf, and we did. So I guess then the the question. The one question that I have left then is: Do do you think you're actually are you actually hanging the sword up? Is Excalibur back in the stone? Actually, I guess Excalibur was in the lake, huh? Never mind. I, <laughs> I've, I've no idea where. You would know better than me where Excalibur is. I, I um, I, I'm mixing look, my I mean, metaphor. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's totally fine. Um, n- n- never say never. Um, but I'm I'm not in an active musical unit now. It's kind of hard for me to conceive um, this year how anything could happen at all. Um, you know, I wouldn't say no, but I mean at the same time. You know, I'm not doing it, and I've got enough close friends who do it seriously enough that I'm not going to like pretend like, oh yes, I'm still a musician. I mean, like I'm not. I'm like I'm barely touching my guitar. So, right. you know, yeah, for all intents and purposes, it's 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 done, and, and that's fine too. All right. Well, hey, you know, it's 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 a it's a, it's a lot to hang your hat on, and it's like I said, you've not just done a lot of music. You you managed to write a book that needed to exist. So good on you for that. John Fine, thank you so much for uh, being on the show, man. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. So really you... appreciate it, man. Thank you. Kenan, thanks for everything. All right, brother. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Oh, there he is, Mr. John Fine. Good dude. We Get that book. Get that book. 
Let's hear another bitch magnet song. Cool? Cool.
giving you a good place to sleep.
was Gun Metal Eyes by Lardo off of the record of the same name, Gun Metal Eyes. You can find that lardo.bandcamp.com, Lardo, L-A-R-D-O. This is a collaboration between Brian Pennington 
Jay Ward from uh, used to be in Stunning and Wicketran. Some guy named Dick Miner. I'm liking that. It's a new record. Uh, the song before that was Dex and Drakes by Bitch Magnet. And before that, Americruiser, also by Bitch Magnet, both of which featuring our guest, John Fine. This next song is also a Bitch Magnet song. This is Dragoon. Hope you like it. Here it goes.
That was Dragoon by Bitch Magnet. Our guest today, Mr. John Fine. You can get that along with all of the rest of the Bitch Magnet material at Temporary Residence. It's all been reissued. You should get at that. I'm going to. <laughs> I believe it's just called <clears throat> Bitch Magnet Temporary Residence uh, TRR 150. They have that catalog number assigned for quite some time. And then I, I believe it was, they got into the 200s before they actually issued that. But it has everything. It has the whole, uh, the whole shebang. Ben-Hur, Umber, Star Booty, all that good stuff. Once again, name the book, and you're going to want this book. I'm going to tell you. The name of this book is Your Band Sucks. What I Saw at Indie Rock's Failed Revolution, parentheses, but can no longer hear. Get it on hardcover. Get it on Kindle. You know, yeah, I presume there's like an audio book or something. Just, just get that. It's by Mr. John Fine. I loved it. I loved it so much. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write an Amazon review of it. That's how much I loved it. All right, I don't do that very often. That's uh that's high praise indeed. If you are someone who the world of music is important to, and especially the world of noisy, loud, intense music, I would say it is a recommended purchase. To be, to be clear. Thanks for joining us once again. Protonic Reversal. We thank you for listening to Protonic Reversal. There are more changes coming for Protonic Reversal. Starting immediately after this episode, which if you are listening to live for the first time, you are hearing as I am on a plane on the way to the PRF barbecue in Chicago. This show will henceforth be found Thursdays, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, PM. That's right. We're in the evenings now. Get used to it. Radio Nope's Thursday Night Block is going to shift into Saturdays. It's going to be a party. Uh, there's a lot more coming as well. Uh, I just can't even tell you how excited I am for the future of this show. And I would like very much to thank all of our friends at Radio Valencia for the times that we have spent on Radio Valencia. It's much appreciated and much love for the Radio Valencia crew. This show will henceforth only be found on Radio Nope. RadioNope.com. Say yes to Nope. Is this thing on? RadioNeutron.com. Shows on Facebook. If you want to tweet at us, tweet at my personal account, Conan Neutron. I'm still not convinced that we need to have a show account or an Instagram. I guess convince me otherwise. We have some amazing stuff coming up. Stick with it. It's 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 gonna be a blast. Thanks so much for listening as always. And take it easy. Is this thing on?
off. Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. Anyone within the sound of my voice. I've got 50,000 watts of power. Electricity. Can you hear me now? Out on Route 128, dark and lonely. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? to my top 10. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. There is no special girl! It's the... It's the end of radio! The last announcer plays the last record! The last what? Leaves the transmitter! of a listener.
really broadcasting if there's no one there to receive. It's the end of radio. As we come to the close of our broadcast day. Radio.